0: Welcome to the show that drops in on people's moments of clarity surrounding their choice to not drink. I'm Kate Madry, and I'm so happy you're here. Sobriety is like a thumbprint, and just like your skincare routine or your self-care routine, everyone's sober care routine is very different. By the end of each conversation, you'll leave with a little bit more insight to help guide you while building your sober care routine. This is a clear-headed Podcast. It's June, it's gloomy outside, Mm -hmm. and Sarah and I are in our new apartment. Woo! Last time I recorded an episode, it was in our old place, and I felt like so... Woof. Like I had learned a lot, but I still had and do have a lot to continue to learn, but... We're reporting live from Pride Month. <laughs> June is Pride Month and it's really important to have discussions about the importance of making it a safer world for people to be themselves through and through without fear, without trepidation and giving people the spaces to ask questions. Sobriety in the LGBTQIA community is a whole other world. In 2021, after I had already been sober for a little bit, I was on Beth Bowen's podcast and it was during Pride Month and she had some insane stats at the top of that episode. Um, And I wanna share them here because even though it was in 2021, I still think it's relevant. According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration, people who identify as gay or lesbian are more than twice as likely to have severe alcohol and tobacco use disorder. People who identify as bisexual are three times more likely to have substance abuse disorder people who are unsure of their sexual identity are five times more likely to have substance use disorder and transgender students are about two and a half times more likely to use methamphetamines and cocaine compared to their cisgender peers when you hear that sarah like do you remember hearing that um did you listen to that episode that I was on? <laughs> Pressure moment. not <in> really <laughs> Yeah, I did. <laughs> and like, what? I mean, because to me, that's surprising, but also not. It makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense when I look back and reflect on just internally the questions in my head of being kind of unsure of who, what is sexual attraction? Who am I sexually attracted to? Are the thoughts that I have normal? Um, Do I want to act on them? Just like so many, so many unsures. Yeah. And then to have a statistic, like people who are unsure of their sexual identity are five times more likely to have substance use disorder. It just makes so much more sense. Does that track for you and like your story?
1: Yeah, totally. I think even in this day and age, Sexuality is such a personal vulnerable thing that we deal with and I felt very unsure of my sexuality for a long time but I think that unsuredness is so uncomfortable that you just want to kind of numb it Yeah, you know and then there's other things that you're numbing too but when I think about the first time that I got sober like one of the big things that I tackled was going to therapy, working through some like sexual trauma. And then up right up next was like my sexuality.
0: When you first got sober, what really like fueled that choice was, I mean, in terms of, in terms of feelings and emotions and uncomfortability, like was it already bubbling under the surface? My sexuality. Your sexuality, your uncomfortability. Yeah, absolutely. And so... I, like, started watching the
1: L word when I had a boyfriend. (laughs) He's like, what are you doing in there? And I was like, nothing. I need some alone time. (laughs) And I was like, hmm, I'm like, don't want to have sex with you. And I don't feel safe, even though, like, it had nothing to do with him. Mm -hmm. It just had everything to do with his gender. Like, I just never, ever felt sexually safe in a relationship with a man. I never felt. And I think it's just because it wasn't for me. And then, you know, there's other stuff, too. But it just, I was trying to, like, I've made this comparison. I was trying to fit a circle in, like, a square peg for most of my life an alcohol kind
0: of I think it's a square peg in a round hole or it doesn't really matter because either way the shape is wrong (laughs) yeah so yeah I feel like sexual curiosity has come such a long way even in like the timeline where sober curiosity has come in a long way. It's kind of like hard and fast. And that a big part of that is because we're in Los Angeles. Yeah. We're in like, and we're young. We're not in an older generation that has, you know, decades and decades of thinking in one way and being really conformed in our, the way that we see ourselves. Yeah. There's like so many reasons to it. And there's also still a long way to go. And totally, there's definitely parts that are have regressed and aren't as safe 100%. I bring that up because I think that the curiosity in sexual curiosity is a really important part, just like sober curiosity in your sober curious journey and in your sobriety journey is really important. But the curiosity often like kills the cat. <laughs> Meaning like, I think sometimes the curiosity in both of those sectors is what people are so afraid of just to even be curious with, like even just to ask questions. That's how I felt. Did you feel like those internal questions when you started having those thoughts, like did you feel safe enough to ask those questions with yourself or did you shut them off? Like what was the curious phase like?
1: Well, I think the thing about both sexuality and sobriety is they're viewed as like other, Mm -hmm. otherness by like larger society. So people are constantly just assuming your sexuality if you are cisgender and or not cisgender. But if you're just straight passing and cisgender passing, people just assume your sexuality very frequently like... Even people our age, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? And <laughs> yeah. of course, parents and older generations do that too. But so it's just easier to not be curious because it's almost decided for you. That's in so that true. regard,
0: yeah. And the overlap with sobriety too, and like same people with sobriety. Like people like, yeah,
1: like, do you want to? You want a beer or you want a glass of wine? And like, it's so much easier when you're younger to just go, yeah. Same with sexuality, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm kind of dating this guy, like oh yeah like I'll have a whatever you know a Syrah so to break that mold and to correct people or to tell people that like hey no actually like I'm struggling with my sexuality like I don't I've been dating men and there's something off there or I've been drinking every night and it's not working for me so no I don't want a glass of wine saying those things are really brave and they take a lot of courage like you have to muster up the courage to be different to say something different that may lead to more questions and I think that's really difficult it is really difficult sometimes it's easier to just blend in yeah but I think you reach a threshold of that where you can't just blend in anymore and I think that's what I reached it was like a boiling point
0: yeah it's really I don't know um empowering to hear that because of course, of course, if you have a drink at your disposal while you're, you have one thing being assumed about you, that's so fundamentally not true, like your sexuality and society has already kind of coached you into saying that like booze is going to help you get through those uncomfortable moments, of course that is what you reach for your coping mechanism your best friend your buddy tequila the bottle of wine the whatever to make those assumptions a little more comfortable so you think a little more palatable (laughs) right um I don't know why that hits so hard I think because yeah like of course that is what happened like of course tearing up here but like of course of course that's what people go through of course that's what people and then it's like this circle and this cycle that you like get wrapped up in because you think it's so much better in the moment but really what you're doing is you're furthering the assumption by agreeing with it Mm -hmm. you're helping the people who are around you have more to talk about the next time like oh so how did that date go with the guy and then it's like the cycle continues and so the drinking continues mm-hmm. and yeah I mean it just of course of course maybe why I'm feeling so emotional is because I just hope nobody is feeling hard on themselves about that like yeah I mean a fucking course that's what's happening
1: yeah and it it really is like It's also, I think it's a a difficult position to be in because you know that both of those things, refusing a drink or admitting that you have a problem with something like alcohol or drugs or whatever, and then also correcting someone about assuming your sexuality, like that gives someone the option to judge you or for someone to distance themselves from you or to change the dynamic of your relationship. And I think...
0: That's really scary. Both
1: of those things, like questioning your sexuality and questioning your relationship with alcohol are already incredibly isolating. And so the last thing you want to do is isolate yourself even further from what you think is your, your friends or your community or your parents, you know? Yeah. There's like a fear about being honest that it will push people away. Mm-hmm. But what I realized in my journey was like, I was actually the person who was least accepting of it. Like, by not giving people the option to just fucking support me, I was isolating myself. Like, when I told my parents about both, like, about my sexuality and about not drinking anymore, like, they couldn't have been happier. Like, they were like, thank God you stopped drinking. (laughs) And also, like, we love Kate. And we also, like, just want you to be happy. Like, we just want you to experience love. And I think most, that was the reaction from most people in my life, which I'm very, very fortunate for and lucky. And that's not how it is for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. But I do think if it's safe, because a lot of places it's not safe to come out. Yeah. But if it, if it's safe, if you are in a space where it feels safe, give it a shot, you know? Because, and not take a
0: shot. <laughs> yeah. Um. And that can start with communities and online communities mm-hmm. and even like changing your Instagram grid, like yeah. changing who you follow on Instagram. No one sits and scrolls through your followers and goes, oh, they're, you know, following, following. All these gay communities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and must if, be gay. If, and if, they if they are. are like, they have way too much time on their hands. Yeah, way too much. And yeah, ugh, not good. But like just changing the world that you escape in that's virtual, Mm -hmm. like social media or subscribing to newsletters or listening to different podcasts, I think is a really important thing. Just like when you're building and preparing to kind of change your perspective with your alcohol consumption, that all can start internal into yourself too. But it really, really can help you start to build the confidence in like your feelings. Like, dare I say the L word was your private little, uh, I don't know, like cheerleading squad of, yes, these feelings, I'm having them. I'm applying yeah. them. I'm seeing them. I'm noticing totally. them. I identify with Shane. <laughs> I am Shane. I am Shane.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I I had totally been like exploring with my sexuality before that. Like that wasn't my first time. Like being like, oh, I might, you know, be curious. But I had such like a stunted like first experience with my sexuality and like someone who was very had a lot of internalized homophobia and was very closeted Mm. and I think like I said that was like my biggest fear about being open about my sexuality that it sort of just furthered this like concept in my mind that like I needed to just I can just I can just be straight like I can just do it I have done it my whole life you know it's not whatever i was like I, it's it's doable <laughs> and that's like but it wasn't it's not doable cuz it's just who you are yeah you can't pretend to be someone else yeah so then you know the l word came in and i was like yeah
0: you know what <laughs> i'm gay <laughs> Did you talk to your therapist about that at the time? You were seeing a therapist when you were watching the L Word, or no? yeah, I was seeing a therapist. Did you get sober and then you started the L Word, or did you start the L Word and then you got sober?
1: I think I had been watching the L Word, and then I got sober. I love that. Yeah,
0: L Word first.
1: And honestly, when I got sober, was like when I got out of that relationship. Yeah, I think because the alcohol, because alcohol is sort of that thing that prolongs decision making and like I don't know you when you're drinking it's like your focus so you don't have to really focus on anything else yeah. so I was able to stay in that relationship for so much longer because we both drank so much and when I stopped drinking I was like whoa I can't keep doing this totally like I really can't and so I was actually seeing a therapist that was like specifically for queer people
0: how did you find them my mom found
1: Wow. Like I reached out to my mom when I was like, I really need to work through some stuff that happened to me. And I just had like a full on breakdown and it was about like sexual trauma. So I think maybe she, either I mean, either she kind of knew that I was not straight. I would say she, if, yeah, yeah, maybe the feeling was there. Or she was just like, you need someone who can like talk to you about sex and mm-hmm. sexuality. Yeah um in relation to just experiences that i had
0: had in the past when you went in with your therapist what how did you get to discover that like My sexuality ha- yes how how did you get to discover your view on yeah your sexuality <laughs> I mean,
1: I think we just, we went through a lot of my like sexual history, um, which I think is relevant in my sexuality, but I don't think it's like a defining point of my sexuality. Mm. I think I would be queer no matter what. But yeah, I, I just sort of explained, I think that I felt like I was hiding you know but I mean not in so many words like it took a lot of I was beating around the bush a lot Mm -hmm. but I had had this like my first experience with a girl was very stunted and secretive and and I just had so much shame surrounding it I had so much shame surrounding sex in general Mm -hmm. sex sexuality all of it that I really needed to work through all of that before I just finally was like I am so exhausted of trying to be someone i'm not of trying to pretend i'm fine like pretending i'm fine and i went through so many phases of being like very promiscuous like i just was like flailing yeah and i think i reached a point where i was like i can't do it anymore
0: and like were you getting tired of using alcohol to help with that flailing like assist fuel the flailing of making it seem easier to try these things that you knew weren't aligning with your yourself. I think the alcohol was really good at suppressing all of that Mm. because
1: when I was going to therapy like I had already I was sober before I started therapy so I think I started therapy because I was sober Mm. like I was alone with these thoughts and feelings and I didn't have anything to like numb it anymore and distract myself so I I was just hyper-focused on like, the struggle of, of just being... And I had also broken up with my, my boyfriend at the time. So I was like very alone. I lived alone. I didn't have alcohol. And it was just like a pressure cooker of the truth is going to be revealed. Yeah. <laughs> so then being sober helped me come to terms with a lot of stuff that I had just been like burying deep down inside of me. Never wanted to address, never really worked through. And then working through those things allowed me to be more free yeah. in my sex and
0: sexuality. And just to like touch on this again, um, for anyone who hasn't listened to your story before, sobriety for a lot of people isn't linear. And this first go at sobriety for you that we're talking about right now was like eight months. yeah so well like even honestly my sobriety journey
1: was like eight or nine years in the making totally because I got a really bad DUI when I was I had freshly turned 23 like one month into being 23 so I had like court appointed AA which like doesn't work (laughs) because I wasn't I just... Actually, I did try to be sober, but I was so not there. Like, it didn't have a support system in place. Yeah. I was surrounding my, myself with people who were encouraging me to drink. Like, the kind of people who were like, uh, "Sobriety's stupid. And you're yeah. like, whoa. Okay. And then, so, that was sort of like my first... Like, I went to a couple AA meetings, but I just couldn't do... Like, I couldn't get there. Yeah. I wasn't ready. Then another three or four years passed, or maybe it was like two or three years past and then i started realizing if i don't stop like this was this is gonna ruin my life and maybe kill me like i just didn't even hit really a rock bottom but it was just like the every day i just i just knew it wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't right for me And that was like the beginning of my sober curiosity. And yes, that first stretch of time was like eight months. But once again, I didn't have like a support system in place. I was still hanging around with people who didn't understand the importance of sobriety, especially in my life, in their life. Like they were all still drinking and sort of encouraging me to drink. But I lasted eight months. And I was working in the restaurant
0: industry too. So that was also really incredibly difficult. Well, I was going to ask and kind of set this up to ask you like discovering so much about yourself and having that really like condensed (laughs) evolution, like you're alone, you broke up with a dude, you've dated men, you've maybe had some turbulent experiences with women, but you really are realizing that like your power and your sexuality and your preference and what aligns with you going to therapy, living through sexual trauma, living alone, not having alcohol, not having a support system. I just, I guess I wanted to talk about that because I think a lot of people do go through so much clarity when they do start to align with themselves and it can feel insanely overwhelming. The double whammy of sexuality and realizing you're not a drinker. You don't want to drink. You don't, it doesn't benefit you that other kind of partner or, um, like we always say, like, it's like dating alcohol. Like alcohol is like a toxic ex. It's one of the longest relationships often most people have had in their lives. So when you take realizing your sexual preference along with losing, losing, quote unquote, losing your relationship with alcohol, it's really overwhelming. I just think it's really normal to have a go back to one or the other at first. Yes, absolutely. Like very, very common. It is a salsa dance. It's a, you know, cha-cha-cha with realizing things and it's not linear and I just want to say that that's super normal and I want to normalize that sexual explorations aren't always linear and neither are sobriety journeys for you would you say that like either of those were linear going forward obviously not the alcohol relationship but was your sexual journey linear it it was like
1: you're like how do you describe <sighs> linear? <laughs> no, no, I I'm, I'm trying to think like basically I'm also just thinking about god Sarah at 25. So, that first like bout of sobriety like I kind of did what everyone tells you not to do, which is like get into a relationship really quickly. So, okay. I started dating s- this girl and she was also sober and so that was like my sober support system and i think that's why i lasted like 8 months cuz i had her yeah so then when that like came to an end i started drinking again but a lot of that drinking was because i had i was so sort of uncomfortable with the idea of dating mm. that that that's how i started drinking again like I was like well just like one glass like I'm going on a date like I, yes, I'm scared I'm totally. uncomfortable I've never gone on a date with a girl like everyone <sighs> that I had dated was every woman I had dated was like a someone friend. I was friends with right. or like the uh, the relationship slowly evolved into like something sexual It was like not like someone asked me out so that and like I didn't know them and it was obvious that we were both just into each other, but we didn't know each other. It was purely based off gender, you know? But as before, it was more, like, emotional. Like, oh, yeah, you are a woman, but I'm also just attracted to you as a person. Yeah. So it was very different. It was really uncomfortable. I started drinking again. In that, like, drinking journey, I was like, I'm single. I'm going to go crazy. So, like, my sexuality wasn't linear, but I do think, like... Well, I don't know. It's hard to say, but I tried, like, tried to date men again. And I think I could do it if there wasn't sex involved. Like, Uh I just, like, couldn't do, like, I couldn't. I tried it, like, one last time and I was like, yeah, I just, it's not, it's not for me. Yeah. And I don't really I'm just like yeah I just know that I don't really need to
0: like try to figure out no you don't yeah. it doesn't deserve a, a crazy explanation you know obviously we're on a podcast so I'm gonna ask you questions in depth but like for anybody else out there like you don't have to over explain because I think sometimes like it's our it's the way we've been raised to think that being gay identifying as queer pan by. However, anything other than straight is wrong. And so we have to over explain why we have thought this way or feel this way or what. It's like a very simple answer. Just like it's, it's just as valid as you saying, like, you don't like bananas. Like it's totally. that much.
1: And, you know, I was just like drawing a parallel to something that we always kind of go back to is like labels are really meant for yourself. Like mm-hmm. they're not really meant for other people and so for me like at that time in my life I would consider myself bisexual now I don't feel like I even have to label my sexuality because I'm in like a long-term committed relationship with someone I love
0: hi
1: yeah you (laughs) obviously you're a woman I'm attracted to women but I'm not like for me right now like I don't need to label my sexuality in it, like, obviously I'm queer, right. But I don't need to be like, I'm bisexual or I'm a lesbian. Right. I kind of identify with all of those things and that's okay. You can totally do that. Yeah. So
0: totally. Uh, the same, you know, goes with where you're at in your sober journey. Um, you know, there's so many conversations that have been had on like the business front of like, what do you call, like, what's the best way to identify as, like, a brand? Like, ah, sobriety is so, like... um, Stigmatized. Stigmatized. Like, there's obviously, like, a a very pointed definition for somebody who's in recovery. Like, being very mindful of that. Uh, But people, the general public, doesn't know what A slash F means. And then if you say alcohol-free or mocktail or just, like, all these labels and, like, how to... There's no, yeah, there's no right, there's no rightness to it. Totally. I just really, like you said, believe that in sexually, I, sexual identity, labels in sexual identity are for you and you only. And if you want to share that with somebody so that you feel seen, heard, understood, like. You have an ally. Like right. Or have, if it helps you explain to someone how you feel. Totally.
1: You know, like then it's because it's still for, f- it. for you.
0: But it's still the foundation, the root of a label is for you. Mm-hmm. And the same thing applies in your sober journey. Whether you're sober curious, whether you identify as a non drinker maybe you are in a recovery program. If you want to share that, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. It's literally all for yourself. Yeah, like it doesn't exist in a vacuum.
1: There's no like really hard lines drawn in the sand. Like, oh, well, if you say you're sober, exactly. you're in recovery. Or, oh, if you say you're a lesbian, you can't ever be
0: attracted to a man again. Exactly. You know, <laughs> like. Exactly. There is no, I guess like, Really why I love that that's our viewpoint is because you can't be wrong with how you identify because it is strictly for yourself. It can change. It can evolve. It can go back to something. It is not a check the box, submit the application, and you could never undo it. Mm -hmm. It is a very free-flowing, evolutionary thing strictly for your soul and your understanding of yourself so hopefully that takes the pressure off of you to start internally playing with labels looking things up looking up sober curiosity looking up recovery looking up bisexual looking up however whatever it is that you feel like you may be questioning question it and the answers that you try on are only for your interior fitting room (laughs) it's not for anyone else i am excited because i want to have more of these talks through june i want to talk about sober dating i want to talk about substance misuse and how it impacts all of the different areas of the community of the queer community and i want to talk about what we can do to help assist and maybe even kind of give some reviews on some local gay bars (laughs) with non-owl options. So happy Pride. Happy June. We are not June glooming. No, no, no. We are June thriving? Zooming. Zooming.
1: (laughs) Zooming around. Okay. See you next week. Bye. Bye.
0: For more guidance on building your sober care routine, head to clearheaded.co or follow us on Instagram at (laughs) clearheaded.co.